These last few days have been unbearable. We've been transferred from carriage to carriage. We kept moving, but no one said where we were going. Afterwards, we transferred to the train station. When I arrived at the platform, I saw a crowd of men. There must have been a thousand in all. They were all young, filled with boisterous energy. It was an enormous thrill for them. Many of them never been on a train before. Some weren't even 15 years old. A football game broke out. Then the train arrived and it sounded its horns. And we all let out a good cheer. These eager young faces with not a care in the world, with the romance of war still palpable, still glimmering in their eyes. I felt the utmost pity for them. I was uneasy on the train. It was crowded, and the smell was awful. The men had beaming smiles, as if they had just come from the fair. I heard them snicker amidst the chugging and rolling of the train. But then again, there were sad faces, too, young and full of angst, faces you would only see at funerals, but young, far too young to even comprehend. I guess they just missed home already. I fell in between the brooders and the wanderers and joined the remnants of the unsure. Nothing made me feel more alone. I sang a song to myself to quell the pain. The hills of Manchuria. I know you never liked Anya. I know it never suited you. But it felt right for the meantime. And it fought its way in my mind and shielded me from this horrendous company. The ride was terrible. The bumps and the sliding back and forth took a toll on my rear and my lower back. I leaned on the window, fell asleep, and dreamt of nothing. I was too tired to do much else. When I awoke in the morning, I noticed the train had stopped in the middle of the forest. I trampled with my bag on my shoulder and could hear the men grunt and yawn as we exited the platform. It didn't seem real neither to them or to me. Their eyes were still beaming, and a giant swarm of cigarette smoke hovered in the air. They said we were in Romania, and I wasn't going to argue otherwise. I don't think anyone could. Oh, Mother Russia, I heard one fellow sigh. We never knew you. We were ushered in and told to wait, and afterwards we were put into squads of a hundred men each. None of us had any formal training, and it showed. The lieutenant screamed at us for the smallest of things, like posture and untied laces. Some of us didn't even have laces. Then at noon, we were divided into a platoon of twenty. Then we waited again for further instructions. All were confused, the lieutenants especially. Finally, we formed a line with four men to each row. Then we marched for two miles. Everything felt rushed and unsteady, but as the afternoon proceeded, it became a much more disciplined, moving catastrophe. First, we saw the Imperial Guardsmen, mostly comprised of Cossacks. They were few, but I, like everyone, held them in highest esteem. They were young men, but they looked ancient, as they rode on in their fine horses and trampled through the muddy ravine. Their uniforms were intact, and their whips and lances and sabers ever-present. Each of them... Each of them possessed a present that was inherited and strong. They were formidable, but good-natured. They had a slightly elevated sense of themselves. It was extreme at times, and their confidence stripped from their noses. But they needed it. 
They needed this delusion in order to hang on and stay the course. They commanded respect from everyone, and we gave it to them in droves. We cheered and cheered as they rode on. They were living in different times, sacred times, and they accepted the fantasy with all its terms and conditions, not realizing nor caring what was in store for them. Although, I'll admit it, they seemed a little more tired now. In all those pictures I've seen, I never imagined I'd see them in the flesh. Although, I'll admit it, they seemed a little more tired now. In all those pictures I've seen, I never imagined I'd see them in the flesh. I never thought I'd see them move as gallant as they did, gallant and grand, with clumps of mud catapulted behind them. We were still jealous of them, for they left their impressions. Their mean, dignified demeanor was contagious. Afterwards, each man took the moment and pretended to be the tallest man in the field and erected himself like a statue with honor and respect. Then the Cossacks galloped away and I lost sight of them, and I wondered long and hard if I'd ever see them again. For the Tsar and God, I heard men cry as they rode out. I wish I just knew one. Then there were those who pretended to be Cossacks, whom everyone, including themselves, referred to as the goddamn phonies. They were cavalry men too, tough and scornful, but they were brittle and hollow inside, and it showed. It wasn't their fault. That's how they were born. They were well-intentioned and friendly, but the real Cossacks preferred to kill them first. Cheap imitations that merely tried their hardest and never quarreled otherwise. That's all they were. Then there was us, the kids, the bastard misfits, unshaven and dumb as shit. But we outnumbered everyone ten to one. We stayed at the ground at all times and brought up the rear, and we smelled the worst by far, which was our title to defend, even though it would never be contested. And so we marched again. We marched through the fog. It was a thousand pities a second. I kept in time, and I found it easier after a while, because I was used to marching. I marched all the time in the parades, the harvest festivals, and in New Year's. Become one with the unit, dress to the right, keep in time, pay attention, loosen up, dress to the right, keep in time, pace down, pace through, eyes forward, fit to a T, or maybe an X. Maybe it was all illusion. But if it was, it was a damn good one. I very much liked it. It was better than sitting down forever, waiting for some pretentious man to crawl to a podium and wave a stick. At least we were moving, moving at our own volition, and I fell in love with the cadence. The sergeants kept us marching. We would have made it to Paris if they wanted us to. We marched twenty miles a day through the rain and mud. I waited for the snow, but it didn't come. There was only pouring rain and mud. When the day ended, we made camp and retired for the night. It turned cold and damp and got colder. The leaves dropped fast, and the trees shed and became naked as skeletons. I heard the church bells ring out, and it almost made me cry. But what bothered me the most was the fact that no one questioned why we were fighting this war, and I thought that was rather odd. Because Serbia was at war with Austria was the line. But why the Germans wanted to fight on two fronts to conquer all of Europe? How and why didn't matter. 
when it was going to end. That was the real question. It sprawled in my mind like a mediocre symphony that just went on and on. No merit expressed, no beauty, not even a crude explanation, just noise for the sake of making noise. A hellish cacophony, the boots marching on. That's all I heard. That's all there was. Granite soldiers aren't the smartest bunch, but you would think they would question things from time to time. But they didn't. At least not this lot. We marched on. Hours passed. We kept marching. The next day would be the same. So would the next. When we got to camp, we were forced to deal with another cruel reality. We were short on arms. There was simply not enough rifles to be handed out to everyone. That's what the sergeant said to us anyway. So every third man was given a rifle, and I was one of the lucky ones. I wish I were kidding you, Anya, but it was true. It was damning and disgusting. The whole division thought it was a joke, but no, it was real. It was a real order. It was a real reality. We had no more provisions. Rifles were at a premium. Men and boys were expendable. The protocol was that if a man who carried a rifle was killed, the next man next to him would grab the rifle, carry on, and continue fighting. Now, I don't mean to say that the other men wanted me dead, but they certainly put more focus on me, that's for sure. I saw the unlucky ones give me a good stare down as they sharpened their knives. It was hard to believe that these were my countrymen. I held only one other rifle in my life, my father's. But this one felt heavier. It was steel I wasn't accustomed to. The bullets were small and piercing. I ran them through my fingers and loaded them into my canister, while the other men watched my every move. You lucky bastards, I could hear them say. You lucky son of a bitch, I hope you die quick! I couldn't blame them. At night, I looked for friendly faces to engage in conversation with, but there weren't many left so I kept to myself. Then I noticed two men who stood out like sore thumbs. Their beards were enviable, heavy and thick and strong. The exemplars, the soldiers of debauchery, Igor and Sasha. They were both short and cruel, and neither of them carried a rifle. They played a horrendous game of chess that went on forever, and each night they would only make one move. They played chess as good as I'd ever seen two drunken peasants play. They were indeed grand masters. I watched them closely and smiled every time. It was something of a stupid miracle that no one yet was blessed to see. In three days' time, they made two moves each. They were poetic moves, calculated and sound, made with such concentration, which no being, spiritual or otherwise, could ever duplicate. Much was on the line for both of them too much. It was cosmic, written and composed by the Grand Masters themselves, a symbolic gesture, crude and enigmatic, with such purpose, and profound in every way. And when their moves were finally made, they left the board and consulted each other by a bottle of vodka. The rest of the men were restless and bored of their antics, but I found it quite a charming distraction. They did this solely for show and I fully understood why. At least I pretended. I thought of their origins, and it made sense to me. 
they must have played each other before in other periods of history. Perhaps they were the brother kings that history forgot to remember. They must have played this game before in deserts and jungles, or perhaps under the sea, and each time it was a different game with different things at stake. Sometimes pride, sometimes the world. There were never any visitors nor spectators, but when they finished, the winner reaped the spoils. And such were kingdoms and castles and different types of gods. But, in reality, the outcomes would never matter, for they would always set up the board and play again. I was glad there were two, for if there were only one player, it would be a quite a boring game indeed. I overheard one of their conversations. It was quite emotional. These goddamn Austrians, Igor began. Nah, retorted Sasha. It's these Germans you have to worry about. Horrible bastards. It was time to drink, and drink we did. I looked all around and found no sober eyes. The drinking was obsessive and welcomed. These soldiers finally knew each other, and because of that, solidarity won out like it should have in any land. Many men drowned out their feelings with terrible vodka, others with brandy. I tried both. It was one of the last warm nights I remember. It must have been a southwest wind. It was peaceful. And when I was ready to close my eyes and head off to dream, a man tapped me on the shoulder and informed me I was invited. I looked around and he simply pointed to a nearby fire. I approached the fire and then looked all over. And there in the shadows with grinning faces, I found my hosts, Igor and Sasha. Somehow, some way, the rumors of my musicianship spread through their men, and they wanted me to entertain them. There was no other reason. They shook my hand and told me to sit. They called me Music Man and repeated it over and over again. Come, Music Man. Yes, Music Man. Wonderful night, isn't it, Music Man? I greatly accepted the title. They were bored out of their minds. There wasn't any other reason. I was hesitant to play at first. Then a group soon gathered, and they glared at me like befuddled dogs. They gave me cups of vodka and sat me down. The first cup did nothing. It went down harsh like thunder. I wasn't impressed, so I asked for more. After the second cup, I was becoming a little more aware. The perceived slights wore off. After the third cup, everything became legitimate and felt a little less hard. After the fifth cup, I wanted to give them all a hug. And after the sixth cup, I wanted to kill them all. But it was settled then and there. And after the seventh cup, I finally found that Holy Spirit that everyone had talked about. It was quite charming at first. Then it became all too demanding once it grabbed hold. More men crowded the area and more eyes fell upon me. It started to resemble a perverted Bible story, but it felt right just the same. Then I heard a voice cry out, Play, you son of a bitch! They heated and growled, and what passed through each man's hand and eventually ended up in mine was the crudest-looking violin I'd ever seen in my life. It must have been made by a retarded blind gypsy child. They gave me a bow, which was mildly better constructed, but not by much. Their patience dwindled. They yelled like bears, and their shouts grew louder. Play, you son of a bitch! Play! So I did. 
I knew what they wanted. A waltz wouldn't do. Anything slow and misty would make them throw me off the ledge. It needed to be up-tempo, fast and terrible. Nothing else would do. My hands were warm enough. The violin was terribly out of tune, but it didn't matter. The sound of live music, no matter how awful, gives a feeling, especially to the numb. They danced and they danced. I was glad I remembered the tune. It was like a ghost. It wouldn't leave me. I guess there are certain things you really can't forget, even if you want to. I played all night. I played until I simply couldn't play anymore. But by then, most of the men were asleep. All except Sasha, who kept staring at me with those red, bitter eyes. I returned the stare and wanted to stab him in the back with my bow. We sneered at each other for the longest time. Then, out of exhaustion, he gave up and fell asleep. Then, in the morning, or maybe it was a dream, I can't remember, I saw a sight golden and delightful. It was the Cossacks, galloping along the countryside. We cheered and hollered like we did when we first saw them. It was only then that I knew something was wrong. It was the timing. It was the world. Dear God, it was over. It was a changing world that came in too fast, and one that they no longer comprehended. And then came the day, the day I finally saw war. My stomach grew sick, my mind went numb. My winter began. It started with the horses. They seemed slower. Their movement transformed to a calm, retardant crawl as the dirt and stones flew and landed, forming into mud. And when they disappeared, it was more of a slip than a fade. It sounded like canes hitting the pavement, grizzled heroes about to be forgotten. Still, there was something exquisite about it. Their time was over, and they knew it. They swept on through the mud and pressed forward. It was a miracle they hadn't drowned already.